Welcome back to the D3 Golf Guys podcast. Well, we are back, folks, after a brief uh, winter sabbatical in which uh, sometimes in this kind of a world, the real life will sneak up on you. But we are happy to be back, super excited to get geared up for the spring and work our way into May to crown a brand new NCAA champion for both men's golf and women's golf in Division Three. Got a great show for you tonight. Kyle Aldrink from Mental Golf Type is here today. You may have heard him on other podcasts like On the Mark with Mark Immelman and also The Fried Egg. Great guy. He's got some really interesting stuff. And one of the things I want everybody out there to listen to is, especially for coaches, it's a really cool opportunity to be able to think about how do your players process information. Now, we've partnered with Kyle and the team at Mental Golf Type. So we'll provide a link uh, for anybody that wants to use their services, we'll provide a link in the notes for this show. We'll tweet it out a whole bunch, but go check out their stuff. It's a really great opportunity. Uh, and now I'll bring you our interview with Kyle. All right. Joining us tonight is Kyle Alderink, one of the Golf Digest best teachers in America under 40 and head mental game and performance coach at Mental Golf Type. Kyle, thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, happy to be here. I'm excited about what you're doing and uh, happy to share. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you. Um, yeah, we, we came across your stuff. And I think you and I connected and uh, we said, yeah, I got to get you on the podcast. But for those of that don't know, uh, tell everybody sort of what mental golf type is all about. Yeah. So, I mean, essentially mental golf type is linking personality types to their best way of performing. Um, and some of the things that have been uncovered, uh, by my partner and the creator, John Weir, um, you know, I say this a lot, I think it's going to go down as one of the greatest discoveries in the game of golf and something that's just unbelievably fascinating to me, still on a daily basis of, you know, using this with players and testing with players. And, um, again, it's just the basic of it is just not everybody's the same right? We can't lump everybody into a box. And that's something I've realized a long time ago with swing wise. I mean, I started like everybody else, a technical teacher and, you know, I was always on that. Well, it just doesn't make sense that people move the same way and started having those kind of vibes was just how players think on the course, how they do things. I mean, you see it with professionals, how differently some people talk like difference between Bryce's DeChambeau and Dustin Johnson. And, um, you know, so when I first came across John and he started showing me some of these links of personality type and how people's minds are wired differently, um, it just it just blew me away and been all in ever since. And um, so, again, that's kind of the short version of it. It's just it's just linking personality type to people's best way of performing and giving them really a blueprint to do that. Yeah. And, and the website is mentalgolftype.com. Um, and I've had a chance to kind of go through it. Uh, it's really interesting. Um, it, it, so kind of tell, tell my audience sort of like the process that you go through and sort of what do you get out of it, out of that piece? Sure. Yeah. So first step is just going through that assessment. Like you're talking about, we have a free assessment on our website. Um, anybody can go through it. It gives you your results back and we do it in kind of a two tiered uh, format. So we want to take people through essentially what they do on the golf course or, you know, kind of how they would answer some of these questions based on that. And then we 
do a verification. So here's your initial results. Now let's do a life verification. And that's the interesting part is kind of linking those two and seeing where the disconnects are. Because something that has kind of blown me away with this when we started uh, this process, uh, we've been up for about a year now doing these assessments. And I think we've gotten, I mean, over five or 6,000 people doing these assessments at this point. And um, I think 94% is the number we're usually hovering around a little above, a little under, depending on the day. Uh, people answer differently on the golf course than they do in life. So essentially what that tells us is people are operating on the course, not a hundred percent the way they're wired, you know, and a lot of that boils down to what maybe they might think is right. Um, what they've been taught to do um, and things like that. So it's, it's interesting to see that disconnect because what we know and the crazy link to this is, you know, we, we've, John has essentially linked this to, um, stress and stress is what really is breaking things down on the golf course. Um, so anybody who's had that day of, you know, you stripe it on the range and then you go out and something totally different, you know, it's not your swing breaking down is really what it boils down to. It's like the stress and the reactions and the chemicals and the cortisol, the adrenaline tension and things that go through our body. That's essentially what's breaking the motion down. So even though the swing might have performance flaws out there, it's really the stress that's causing that. And stress is coming from certain thoughts. You know, to give you a quick example of that, um, one we use a lot is like a roller coaster, right? So if you have a roller coaster, big, bad, scary roller coaster, and you have two different people looking at this thing, you have one person that's really excited and one person that's terrified. So it's the same visual, it's the same thing, but people are internalizing that differently. And this is what happens on the course. So, you know, not everybody's wired for lines on the ball. Not everybody's wired for intermediate targets. Um, not everybody can go out and shape the ball. And it's fascinating to me too, because I see so much of the, we'll call arguments, uh, social media, teachers arguing, players arguing, well, it's got to be this way. It's got to be this way. And so much of that is, is great information, but it might not fit a certain person. <laughs> And I'll tell you like flat out, like I was the person that I struggled mightily with precise alignment on balls, um, aiming at intermediate targets. Like I just couldn't do it. Yeah. And I was like, well, maybe something's wrong with me. But when I got down this, this road and started to figure these things out, precise positions with my swing. And now I understand why, you know, I struggled mightily, you know, when I played doing that. And the crazy thing is when we know this, it's really, really predictable. Sometimes it's hard to stop because, you know, it's just like we go down these patterns and we catch ourselves a little too late. But when you know these things and you can recognize it, have that awareness, um, it's really, really powerful stuff. Like it's knowing exactly like when I get into this line of thinking or for me, if I get, you know, too into my backswing, like it's game over. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can tell because uh, like I used to be a very strict line putt, putt with the line guy. And I was really good par putter, but couldn't make any birdies. And the minute I finally just said, I'm getting rid of this. I, I was actually able to make some birdie putts. It was very freeing and flowing. And, you know, there's another group of us, uh, I'll say uh, slightly older people, but those of us that grew up before range finders, right? Um, I find when I, there's times when it's car path only and I don't, I'm not dragging the range finder. I just kind of go, yeah, it's somewhere in here. I tend to play better because I'm engaging that part of me that says, Oh, okay. I, I'm, 
you know, I'm more inventive and I'm more creative and I, I have more feel that way. I'm not just, okay, stop this, take it back to here and, and kind of do that. So I, yeah, that's the stuff that really rings with me when I first started kind of reading about your stuff um, that I think a lot of people relate to, to go, oh, there's definitely days where I feel like I'm in the flow or, or you would say in the zone, you know, to where it's like, yeah, I'm engaging the part of me that is positive rather than the part that's negative. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a good way to put that. And it's interesting, like with, with the zone, for example, you know, everybody's been there, right? I mean, amateur players, whoever, everybody's had those breakout days. And, and the fascinating thing is, is the language is almost always the same. It just felt easy. You know, it just always feels easy when we play well. We ask ourselves, like, why can't I do that all the time? Um, and, you know, those those rounds happen. And I remember vividly when those rounds happened to me. because I've just done so, many, so much reflection over the years when I, like, started to understand these things. Um, and I just kind of stumbled upon what, you know, how my mind is wired. And I just did it. And it just, again, it was easy. But the days that were always the grind, the struggle, days I felt very uncomfortable holding the grip, like I know exactly where my mind was. I was very, what we call player side focus, which is down at the ball, focusing on moves in the swing type thing. And um, it turns out, I mean, that, that stuff is really good for a lot of players. I mean, I'd argue the majority of professionals are probably that center uh, player side focus. I mean, you look at like a Xander Shoffley, um, you know, he's over the ball for about 10 seconds, almost every single shot. And he looks at the target for about a second of that. And you see him rehearsing his backswing, like his focus is just always down. You take a Bubba Watson style, like he's always, or Dustin Johnson, even. I mean, those guys are focusing more up and they're kind of hitting shapes of shots. Um, you hear Dustin Johnson, one of the funny clips I play a lot is he's like, when he talks about fading it around a tree, I don't know if you've ever seen that video, but he's like, you know, you just make sure you fade it. Like that's, that's kind of his yeah. thought. Just mm-hmm. cut it. When they say, how do you cut it? He says, I aim left and I fade it. Where, you know, you might have another player that needs like the steps to be able to do that. It's the same thing they're getting to, but they're getting to it a little bit differently. And there's not a right or wrong. It's just how does your mind process that? But when we start to use these inferior functions, uh, for example, like an extrovert being introverted or being too quiet, it starts to get a little jumble. Like mind just, it's an inferior function. Uh, A good way to think about that is if you were going to sign your name on a piece of paper right-handed you don't think about or if you're right-handed and then you do that opposite handed and you're trying to do the same thing it it takes a lot more mental processing it takes a lot more thought Um, and again you can do it but that feeling of like how much your mind has to work to create that is essentially what's happening when we use that kind of non-dominant facet because it can be learned but it's just like, again, I, I've learned to play left-handed. I actually did when I was younger just because I got bored hitting balls right-handed. Um, and I started playing left-handed and I kind of had fun with it. So I learned to do it and I got pretty good. But I couldn't ever get to the point where I was right-handed. And believe me, I tried. And I also remember when I called people out and tried to play for money, the stress was like way more intense of doing it than it ever was right-handed. Because, again, it's just like my mind just wasn't processing it the same same way. It just wasn't as effortless. It wasn't as uh, natural, I guess. Yeah. So in, in the, uh, in the processes you guys talk about, they're, they're sort of, I'm just trying to lay it out for people and they'll go to the website, but just to lay it out, there's, 
they're sort of the extrovert introvert sort of on the, on the Y axis. And they're sensing an intuition across that um, X axis with, with both of those kind of the, the X axis being broken down into thinking and feeling. And then the, the Y axis between, between judging and perceiving. So just kind of talk, talk to my audience a little bit about sort of the differences in that, what you're kind of getting to in that space. Yeah. So there's, there's four major facets that play a big role. So our first one is our energy source and essentially how we gain clarity on, you know, our thoughts, like we just kind of call it like how we organize our thoughts, which is extroversion, introversion, which, and that one's not terribly understood very well, to be honest with you. I mean, most people just think you're talking or not talking. Um, because again, there's a lot of extroverts that are shy. People would be like, oh, they're introverted, but they actually get a lot more energized and they think clear when they're verbalizing or just even being external, humming songs, you know, yada, yada. Like I'm an extrovert, so people can usually tell pretty quick, like, you know, when I get talking and I get around people and I'm just doing things more outdoorsy, whatever, like I just get a lot more pumped up. That, I mean, that's how I was always able to stand on a lesson tee for, you know, 10, 11 hours a day. Every single day. I mean, I did that for you know 15 years of six days a week for 10 to 12 hours a day. Most people look at me, I look crazy, but I was like, you know, that was actually more energizing to me than sitting in an office or doing anything else. Um, I could do that, and I enjoyed doing that because of again this type of thing, and and that kind of led into a lot of what I was doing too. Because the more I was doing things, I was getting more clear on on what was happening. I was learning from lessons and what I could do better. Um, so there's, there was a lot of cool stuff with that, but, you know, again, a lot of that's just how we're gaining our energy too, though. Like I got really jacked up and I get really pumped up extroversion. I could do it all day, but when I have to be quiet or I have to sit in a room or if I have to listen, <laughs> um, this is why I was never good in classrooms. Like I just, I like dozing. I just can't do it. I'd be fully rested, whatever. And you put me into a room having to listen to a summit or something. I'm just, I'm, I'm like out. It's crazy. So you lose a lot of energy. But the other thing is, too, is thoughts for like an extrovert, introversion thoughts get very jumbled. Like my thoughts get very unorganized if I have to think internally about things. So just physically standing up, talking things out gets a lot clearer. Mm-hmm. So how that plays a role on the golf course is like extroverts do really well just being able to verbalize shots. Yeah. You know, this is where I'm starting and this is what I'm doing. Like it, yeah. it happens. Talking to a caddy, right? Talking to a caddy. Talking to a caddy is good. Yeah. Right. But even so, but like introverts that can actually mess them up. Like I have videos of um, a really good college player that I've coached for a while, uh, who's an introvert and I made her start to verbalize. We're like kind of showing the difference with players, which is really cool. And these videos on our website, if people want to see them, but like, I have a bunch of videos there working with players in real time of having them do what's you know good for them and not And one of these, a couple of these videos were just extras talking and then having to be quiet and flip to introverts. And when I was making the introvert talk everything out, like an extrovert would, um, you know, her reaction was when I said, how does that feel? She said by like half the way through the sentence, she's like, I was so lost in what I was doing. Um, and again, it's vice versa, like the extrovert, when she had to be quiet, she was like, I just felt like, Oh, so it's cool. Really cool to see it in real time. Like I said, we just, uh, between John and I've done so much testing and research and videoing and this stuff, you know, for, for a long time to just kind of show the effects of it. And it's just really cool. But so that's, that's a big piece and that, that one gets overlooked a lot, but that's huge. So that's again, energy and you know, how we essentially organize our thoughts. 
Uh, sensing and intuition is a big one. That's our perception and focus. So essentially, that's how we see targets. Some people see things in bigger zones, shapes, holes. Um, and then some people see things in a much more of a precise kind of narrow way. So a good way to think about that is like two people are looking at a forest. You know, one person might see the entire forest and they just see it as a entire picture where another person is going to focus in on like a branch of a tree. So their perception always is like very narrow focused. And they also like to think the narrow focus people are like kind of instruction manuals. They really like to think, you know, if I complete step one and I complete step two, that'll equal the, the result. And they get a lot of comfort on that, like a recipe. If I follow these steps, the result will be there where like an intuitive kind of works backwards. They work from, this is what I see. This is what I want to create. Now let's work backwards and figure that out. So one's working from the end back in, the other one's working from in, you know, the beginning to the end. And when that flips though, so again, like the person who's, you know, the intuitive, they start to like me, when I was talking about my swing mechanics, I start getting there. I lose track of what do I want to create here? What's my target? What's my shot? Mm-hmm. Like, and that's what most sports psychology teaches. The, the crazy thing is those intuitive people are about 25% of the population on estimation. So most people, mass majority of the population is actually wired to be more of that kind of Xander Shoffley style where they're working more off of, you know, get my backswing here and then hit it. And then it'll go to the target. They're wired more for the intermediate targets mm-hmm. type thing. So understanding how narrow or broad the focus needs to be, understanding where that focus over the ball is, and that is one I would say is probably the most under, um, under understood. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if that's the right way to sure. say that, but I've asked every. I mean, everybody I've coached from even on the you know people on the professional tours and say you know what's your focus over the ball, and they don't a lot of times don't have an answer. Yeah. And I, I asked it very specifically, like when you're playing well, what's your focus over the ball? And the answer you get a lot of times, well, I, I just don't think, but that's not really that possible. Like our minds just don't shut off. Like you right. think about it. I mean, the, you know, the monks or whatever sit in these mountains for years and years and years trying to meditate to clear thoughts. I mean, it's a drastic skill to be able to clear your mind to that level. Mm-hmm. But understanding where to direct that awareness, it could be as simple as just, again, get my takeaway here and hit it. Very yeah. basic, but you know kind of how to control where that's at, where it doesn't shift to like, don't hit it out of bounds. Right. Because those are the thoughts that come in when we're not in control of what we're thinking over the ball. Yeah. So understanding exactly how to direct that focus to let the subconscious or so we'll say take over and perform that action is very, very important. And again, knowing that if you're wired to be more on the player side focus or target side focus is really big. And then the third one you alluded to is thinking and feeling. And that's essentially our, what we call evaluation, how we make decisions. So again, a really good one. Um, and I actually just put a new video on YouTube up with these, this exact clip, but like you listen to Dustin Johnson talk about how he makes a decision versus Bryson. It's hundred percent different. I mean, I got a clip of Bryce to talk about air density. Yeah. And then DJ just like, oh, I just get the wind and hit it. So again, they're coming to the same conclusion, but one's doing it with a little more of an emotional intelligence, you know, kind of what their guts telling them is right, mm-hmm. what they feel. And the other one's coming at it pure with just statistics. Like this is my factors. Like this is the yards. It's the carry distance. It's the wind. 
And like if the percentages support that, they can get a lot of confidence in what they're doing with that. Where, you know, someone like a feeler, like Dustin Johnson starts doing that, he's probably overthinking shots and like putting too much thought into it. You know, so you'd like, you know, you've ever had someone take a test or if you ever took a test, I'm like, oh, why don't I just go with my first instinct? Yep. Yep. Yeah. You know, it's kind of that exact thing, right? Yeah. The thing I really like about this, having coached college golf before, is, um, you know, I once had uh, one of my players go, Mike, why are you always talking in circles? And I go, because you got it the first time, but your roommate who's, you know, you, you're the number one guy, you got it the first time, but your roommate is playing number four. It took six times for me to say it before he kind of caught on to what it is that we're talking because it has to be in a different way. And, and that's really where, what I think is valuable about this. If I'm a coach and I'm listening to this podcast, I'm signing up because I want to understand Okay, my one, two, and three guys are all about the same, but my four guy, who I just can't seem to get on the page here, maybe there's a different way that we need to get together. So it's like, okay, hey, we're working on this topic here, whether or not it's we're trying to hit the hit our wedges closer, right? And all right, but we're trying to say, all right, use your intermediate target. Well, maybe he's not that kind of guy. Maybe we need to change the language around that, um, you know. And so that's where I, I find this really valuable as as someone who's trying to understand. All right how do you connect to help transfer this knowledge, right? Because that's what this is really about. How do I help you in this game that is the, the hardest game in the world in which you have to fight yourself more than anything else? I'm going to take a quick break to tell you about our friends at Titleist. Titleist, the number one brand in golf. And I've seen a whole bunch of Titleist in all my years around D3 golf. But the best thing they have going for them is the Titleist Pro V1 or Pro V1X. It's the best ball on tour. It's the best ball for college players. If you are a high-level player looking for the best golf ball around, there's nothing better than Titleist Pro V1 or Pro V1X. Get yours today. And now back to our interview with Kyle. Now, talk a little bit about sort of who you work with. And I know you work with some teams, but talk a little bit about who you work with and some of your experiences in the past. Yeah. So I have, uh, all kinds of things really going on. I mean, I have uh, a new academy just started in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and my in-person academies have always been built around basically juniors, um, developing junior players and trying to help them get into college and, and beyond. So for the longest time, my, my histor- history has been, you know, again, junior golf and kind of helping them develop up. So as I've been into the mental golf type more, I'm, working with more professionals who are trying to work their way through Symmetra, get up to the big tour, uh, you know, the LPGA and, and guys on the corn ferry trying to get up and mini tour players. So we do a lot of working with, and then just see some players just consulting with a little. Um, and then I have uh, about a handful of colleges that I'm consulting with very closely as well. And some, again, it's just like conversation with coaches here and there. But so I really have from a different like work with teams, like some teams, like I said, out here, especially I have them at the academy doing things, going through this. And some just are FaceTime calls type things. But so some schools really entrenched in uh, working with, you know, professional players and people really trying to make it to that high level. And then I have my own kind of personal in, in-person academy as well. Yeah. All right. So now that's all really important. But now let's talk about me. Because I've I've yeah. taken this and and I'm I'm, tr- I'm still trying to get my feedback all the way through, so I took it and I I came out as an ENTP. So I'm an extrovert, which is not really that big of a shock. I have a podcast where I talk all the time, 
and I'm intuitive, which is good. But I took it again, kind of independently. And all of a sudden, I kind of shifted over into an EFFJ, which is so, so it's in the same realm. But it was very interesting to kind of feel like, oh, but it depended on kind of where I was. So when I was playing my own game a lot, I sort of ended up in one category. And the other one, I had been caddying for my son and doing a lot of coaching at the time, where I ended up in another one, which I thought was really interesting um, as you kind of get into that. And, and I've, I've really kind of said, oh, this is interesting. Like when I'm highly engaged, these, these are those things that there and, and you're right. But now uniquely, I am very much the same way in person as I am on the golf course. So I don't change a whole lot, which, which was good. I, I thought that was an interesting take that you had there. Um, but all right. So knowing what you know about me, so what do I need to be working on? Well, so, so first of all, I just want to make a quick comment on, on that yeah. because this is why personality types and tests have gotten long, uh, a bad rap because you can show up as a little bit different. Um, because again, we use all of these qualities, right? You're not just pure extrovert. Like there's introverted right. qualities. You're not sure. pure intuitive. There's sensing qualities, but think about it like dexterity. Like we're right-handed or left-handed. So if someday you're just kind of feeling a certain way or someday you're taking this and you're like, well, that just makes sense. I like the idea of percentages and yada, yada. You might answer to that. But the key is kind of drawing out what is your natural, you know, and that's what we always want to tap into because natural will be unnatural any day of the week. So you sound like you're no doubt ENN, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty rock solid there. Yeah. So like the last one we'll take, because that's probably the one that I've seen. And again, John's been doing this for way, way longer than me, but from, you know, the amount of tests I've seen, the one that gets really messed up the most is J and P. And if you think about it though, it's like, what does society tell us? Like you have to be structured, you have to be organized. You know, we're learned, we're taught that as such, you know, an age and it's a great quality, obviously, but not everybody's wired like that. Like I'm what's called a perceiver. So if you look at how I operate daily, it's it's just chaos. Like I can't follow a regimen. I feel very bogged down when I do it and I lose a lot of motivation. Mm-hmm. So if you tell me you have to be here, then here and here. And again, I've trained myself to do it with lesson schedules and stuff. But I love the idea of like, you know, I can go do this for a little bit. And then I'm like, all right, now let me try this because like, you know, my mind's on this. So, you know, with perceivers, it's essentially they can just have a little more of a flexible game plan. Like they're not wire to go like here i want you here on every t box you have to hit this club and everything like they need to kind of follow their flow a little bit they're go with the flow people they're the ones that are packing last minute for trips <laughs> type yeah. thing you know where a judger is somebody who really truly likes to operate with schedules and they like to check things off a list and and do that and they like to have a really organized practice plan so like if you look at a practice plan i would give for somebody who's a true j like it's very, very detailed, bullet pointed, 10 minutes here, 15 minutes here. And, you know, if you give that to me, like I'll, I'll try to follow it, but I'm never going to follow it. <laughs> <laughs> and every, every single true perceiver I've ever coached, like I've done the same thing. I'm like, are you really going to follow this? And like, no. <laughs> yeah. So it's just restructuring that. So how do I keep that motivation up, but still have you productive where you're not buzzing around like a little, <laughs> you know, whatever. Right. And, you know, so they do better with like, we'll say a menu where someone like me, if you give me five major things to accomplish, depending on how much time you got to say, go do it. Like I'm going to do it. It just might be in a crazy order. Right. You know, and they're, they're the players that, you know, when coaches have a very strict, like, you know, we're going to do two hours of putting drills, like they're going to lose it. 
yeah. you're going to hate every second of that. Uh, where a judge is like, I love this. Like, I need that. I need to accomplish this. They'll sit there all night until they accomplish it. Mm-hmm. And then, so like backtracking into thinking and feeling, um, you know, a good way to think about that is like, again, feelers are just, it's an emotional intelligence. Like we trust our gut more than we do anything else. Like mm-hmm. thinkers want just absolute percentages. They want data. They want to know that the facts support what you're doing. Like it's, we call them head, you know, thinkers, which sounds yeah. obvious, but <laughs> you know, they're the ones that might go on Amazon, read tons of reviews to make sure everything lines up before they do something where a feeler is just like, that yeah, looks cool. Let's get it. Right. Does that make sense? I, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that's where I kind of was, was when I took it, it was, it was kind of this interesting place where I, I really kind of assess like, Oh, well, I'm in a very different mental place. You know, um, one, because one, when I'm playing my own game and I'm really focused on that, it, it's very different than when I'm sort of in coach mode and I'm having to play a little differently and like, okay, and I'm, I'm trying to coach up a nine-year-old, which can be challenging in its own right, especially when he calls you dad and you lose all credibility because of that three-letter name. Um, but, you know, like, so it, it's very different to where, like, I would say my mental state is very different in those two spaces. You know, it, I play very differently when I'm in one situation than when I'm in another, just like you would be in, you know, hey, if, if you're at a wedding or you're at a funeral, you're probably in a different mental state, even though your natural state would be there. You may be very different as you go through there. So I just find it interesting. And I wanted to make sure that I kind of brought some of my personal stuff so, so they could, my audience could kind of see like, hey, yeah, there's you might get different results and that's okay. But I think you saw like, yeah, I'm an ENN. There's no doubt in there. It's a matter of, yeah. all right, but all right, I'm somewhere in this space. And how you lo- link into that is probably going to be the same. Um, I just think that's really interesting, Kyle. So um, look, I think what you guys are doing is awesome. I, I think if I was still an active head coach and a golf team, I would have all my players go do this um, because I just think it would be great to be able to say, hey, who does what and how do they react? And, you know, it's one of those kind of things where, you know, like in today's modern medicine, we're doing better about identifying what kinds of things you can have just by, you know, sampling your saliva. Hey, you're going to take, this is going to affect you more than this one. And I think that's one of those things to where it's like, if I'm a coach, I want to be able to understand, Hey, I can structure a couple of guys practicing here. I can kind of put my put my sensors in together and play and them in practice rounds. I get my intuitives playing together and practice rounds so they can feed off each other a little bit more and, and not have that. Why are you doing that? This you're bugging me. This is irritating, you know, and keep the guys who talk together. Cause I, I've seen that even in my own game, right. Which is when I play with my guys who are, we're just running our mouth and having a good time and, you know, or whatever, like we ball play. I mean, I played in the club championship two years ago and we had the best time. We were way back and both of us played great. He won, he won and I finished third mostly because we, we were like, oh, we're out of it. Let's just go have fun. And we were running our mouth and he was hitting it really high and I hit it really low. And we just both played great. It was like, oh, this this was fun. And like, yeah, okay, well, we got to play again because this is fun. We just sit around and shoot the bull the entire time and they really, weren't really paying any attention. But um, but that's really – and that's I'm so happy that you came on the podcast and, and we're going to put out a, a bunch of links for your guys' stuff. Um, so everybody that's a D3 Golf Guys fan will be able to, to go to that link, um, sign up. Uh, they, they do an absolutely great job. And you guys are based in Chattanooga for your in-person stuff, correct? So I am, yes. My partner, John's in Philly, but he he doesn't do a ton of 
uh, stuff anymore. He is actually a full-time caddy on the corn ferry for Austin Truslow, which is, which is really cool. So that's awesome. Um, he'll, he'll, yeah. He'll be going back on tour soon, but you know, one, one thing I just do want to note real quick, if you got a minute is that yeah, you absolutely. Know, when you're talking about the, the program. I think the biggest thing is how deep the application goes. So not only is it just really important for a player to understand, you know, again, what's optimal for them, what they should be doing, but we also kind of know and can make them aware of, of their stress and what's causing that breakdown. So for coaches where this is really valuable is understanding how you can kind of mess with them a little bit. And that's something I try to do on the daily. So when I'm really working on kind of what we'll call toughening a player up, like I know where their thoughts are going when they're not doing well. Like I know the player that's getting too mechanical. I know the player that's um, essentially uh, basically the opposite. They're worried about where the ball can't go. You know, there's a big population that are out there and they know that last thought is don't miss this putt or don't hit this out of bounds. Like I know which players thoughts are going there. So I'll just, I'll kind of use that on them. Just say, you know, if that's the player that's kind of always worried about where the ball can't go, it's just don't hit this right. You know, get in their ear a little bit and try to like trigger them until they can kind of control their focus over the ball. Right. Knowing that's very valuable and in a team setting, you can have a lot of fun with that. <laughs> and that's something I do with teams is like, I'll have one player up there and I'll have people trying to get in their ear to, to see if they can control that because if you can't do that in practice, like it's going to be even harder to do under pressure because that intensifies that stress a little bit. So helping them become aware of that is, is extremely important, but also, you know, again, for coaches, just knowing which player to talk to or how to talk to them, like you said, um, you know, working on wedges, right? So like Tiger Woods had the clock system. I try to follow the clock system. I could not do it, yeah. but I had, you know, some people when I was younger that were just adamant, like that's the right thing to do. And it just never made sense to me because it took me just so out of my field uh, and everything. So again, just these applications and how to be able to do that players understanding other players better, because there is something that we call player envy. That's real. You know, one player on the team might be doing something and excelling with it. And everybody's, what are you doing? Yeah. And they want to follow that. Right. You see happens that all, happens all, all, all the time. time. Happens all the time. Right? I've been in the van for a hundred of those conversations. Yeah. Right. I mean, we can't help ourselves. Somebody else succeeding. Well, what are you doing? The issue is sometimes that stuff might not be good for that person. And I think mm-hmm. you even see that on the, on the big tours as people chase like, hey, this guy's playing great. He's all of a sudden winning tournaments. Let me check his coach out. And then they might not do as well. I mean, yeah. you know, you can see that the tour coach out there, this isn't a knock at all, but they don't have 100% success rate. Well, sure. Look at Tiger even. I mean, right. the greatest of all time was with Butch forever and was killing everybody. And then it's been kind of a up, down, up, down for a little bit. Nope. There. And you know, that happens. So yeah. Yeah. Well, I look, I I think, you know, yeah, absolutely. And and again, it's who do you mesh with and and how does it work? And, you know, do they know the right things to say? But I, I think you guys have laid out a really nice blueprint to, to at least start giving us an advantage, just kind of say, Hey, let's, let's educate ourselves on as much as we can here, because I think that's where we, We'll we'll be able to skip a step and get to the hey let's get to this issue first why are we hitting the ball out of bounds all the time well let's talk about it you know um, so Kyle I, just again thanks for coming on the podcast and uh, yeah. you know good luck and we'll uh, I'm sure we'll check in with you again here in the in the next uh, couple months and uh, we'll see how things are going yeah I appreciate it I and mean, keep doing what you're doing I think it's really cool like I said what you're doing it's a it's a different look into the game of college golf, which I'm really passionate about because I'm, you know, really in- involved with it too. So I really appreciate what you're doing and it was great talking to you. Yep. Thanks Kyle. Have a good night.